Carl Wazinski here. You're listening to the Rising as One podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Rising as One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns here. Uh, Kyle and Aaron both busy today, so Justin Vibber. Uh, from the now defunct Arizona Soccer Radio is here. What's up? Hey, how's it going? We're not defunct yet. Just both of my freaking co-hosts moved to Queen Creek on the opposite side of the globe from me. Well, it's 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 taking a indefinite leave of absence. It's on sabbatical. <laughs> we'll call it that. Yeah, we'll call it that. <laughs> your oh, your your show is studying abroad for the semester. Exactly. Yeah. I almost made it there one time, and then I saw the traffic, and it was going to take me like an hour and a half to get there, and I just turned right right around and went back home. I said, no, you guys can do one if you want, but I'm not going. For for those of the listeners that aren't in the Valley of the Sun, uh, Justin, you live like out by, uh, like even further than Surprise, right? Uh, I used to. I actually moved to Glendale, um, okay. which is still a bit of a, a li- little bit of a hike, but it's not nearly as bad as where I was living about uh three or four months ago okay so for people that don't live in the valley of the sun where he used to live is like halfway to las vegas basically i'm only partially (laughs) kidding it's like it's like almost an hour from downtown where he lives now is like what 30 35 minutes from downtown yeah yeah and then the the other hosts both live in queen creek which is like 50 minutes east of downtown halfway to no traffic with no traffic yeah, basically yeah. halfway to Tucson. So if you're if you're trying to do that with any sort of traffic, you're talking about this is a legitimate two and a half hour trip, and with no traffic, it's still like an hour and a half. Oh yeah. So, I get it. Yeah. So there's there's reasons there's reasons, but uh, we're hopefully gonna get back on it at some point. I'm probably gonna get some get some flack for coming on this show before going on our own, but it's whatever. I mean, there are Eastern Conference teams that travel you know, less distance to play each other. Yeah, true. Very uh, true. You know, Red Bulls going up to Hartford, that's probably about that amount of time. Um, yeah. But but let's let's get into the match itself. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, ridiculous. No one sees this going to penalties. But we straight yeah. by. Yeah, first off, um, I'm exhausted. I pretty much gave everything I had last night. Um and went to bed at like 2 a.m. just because I couldn't sleep. Um, so yeah, it was a been a long day, but uh, I'm glad that our first win in pens came in the playoffs rather than the Open Cup, because at the end of the day, the Open Cup doesn't really matter all too much. But uh, playoffs is where it's at for us, at least. Yeah, it definitely means more when that happens in the playoffs, and really slaying the dragon or the demons, so to speak, really exercising mm-hmm. those demons because. If you include that match in Quito, which, okay, maybe, maybe not, we had lost four penalty shootouts uh, since becoming Phoenix Rising without a win. Um, yeah, and even before uh, Phoenix Rising, I don't think they'd won. I don't know, know if there were any penalty shootouts, but they said in club history, which includes Arizona United. so. And some really devastating penalty shootout losses that Rising has had. I mean, you talk about the 2017 playoff to Swope where we would have had home field for the rest of the conference the way things shook out. Mm-hmm. We could have easily made the USL Cup that year if we just got through that match, which 
still triggers me to this day. That is one of the matches that triggers me. Yeah, and I mean, you look Playing, back and think yeah. on uh, that that roster with like Sean Wright Phillips kind of doing some great things for us. You know, JJ was still a 90-minute player. He had Drogba his first year with us. Like, that would have been a very interesting uh, interesting little run we would have made. Yeah, well, Swill Park was on their bullshit that year. Yeah. Um, and then and then the Open Cup last year where we had a very beatable opponent. Um, you assume that we're going to get a third-round match, if not a fourth-round match, you know, playing against a semi-pro club in Sporting Arizona. And, and lo and behold, it gets the shootout, and they beat us there. And then, um, and then the Open Cup to New Mexico this year where there's no reason we couldn't have made the run that they did. Granted, mm-hmm. maybe that hurts our MLS form, but if New Mexico is capable of doing that, I think we could have at least gotten to the fourth round at least given one MLS team a run for their money. Maybe we don't do all that because there's a lot of luck involved, but for sure. And I mean, it would have been cool to have one of those big, I think we would have gone to LAFC or LAFC would have come here if it, uh, or maybe that was in when we lost to sporting, but I mean, having one of those big name clubs coming into your, your, your house, you know, getting their away fans, getting some casual people that are like, oh, crap, an MLS team's coming. You know, that's not exactly. preseason. It it just creates a little bit of excitement. So it's always good for the lower division teams to have those kinds of matches. So hopefully we'll get one at some point. But I'm okay if it wasn't this year, if it mean, if the trade-off is winning USL Cup. so Yes, and, you know, our journey almost derailed right at the start. So let's get into the match itself. Um you know, big to finally exercise those demons, but I don't think anyone saw it being a match where we'd need to go to the shootout. Uh, Never. Our first, first choice starting 11, no one's on suspension, no one has internationals. Um, Dumboya, Whelan, Cochran, Dia in the back. You know, some people will clamor for Farrell and Mala back there, but he, uh, Coach Shantz has made it pretty clear that Whelan and Cochran are his go-to center backs uh when the chips are on the table when it really really matters yeah and i like i don't like i I love cochran he's he's a bulldog but i I don't know i can't remember the opponents that we played when amala and farrell were back there but i mean they 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 didn't allow much when they were when they were the the main pairing so i'm i'm kind of confused and i mean i could like i could see why why rick might not want mala out there because he I mean, I don't know. This year, I feel like it's been his best year with us. But Farrell not being out there with Whelan is kind of confusing. Maybe they just aren't aren't like compatible center backs. But I don't know. Every time I see Cochran in there, I get a little worried. I do feel like Cochran is one of uh, Shantz's boys. At the same time, you know, we got a shutout last night. And, and Austin had one or two good chances. But in general, I feel like Whelan and Cochran have been getting better as a pairing in recent yeah. weeks. And it's been it, that was our first shutout in a while. It's been a long time, I feel like, since I've gotten a free car wash. That that's a very fair point. Although last week, OKC needed a ridiculous banger to get on the board. So yeah, that was nuts. Uh, rounding out the starting eleven, Bacaro, Kavan, or uh, Kevin, and Jose Aguinaga in the midfield. Uh, Bacaro and Aguinaga playing together. They're usually at their best when they're together. Um, no doubt that Kev was going to get the start in the midfield. He's just our rock there. And 
that's something when we get to the preview of Monarchs that we're going to want to really hone in on because Monarchs beat us 2-1, but Kev was out that match on the suspension. Uh And that played a huge role in the way that that match went. We didn't quite have that, that midfield presence and Monarchs took the ball off of us in a couple of situations. I think that match plays out a lot differently with him back. And he's my man of the match from last night. Other oh, than yeah. Lubin. Other than Lubin. But I think he was yeah. he was my field player man of the match. Right on. Yeah, I feel like Lubin would be the clear choice for most people. But, I mean, I, I can't say that you're wrong with, uh, with saying Kevin was in there. Because, I mean, our midfield kind of bossed it. The, those Austin guys were... You could, I don't know, from the supporter section at least, like you could see they're pulling and tugging and it was going both ways, sure, but we were staying on our feet. Um, I was happy that our boys didn't really go down too easy, it didn't seem like, and um, Kevin was just able to kind of pickpocket and keep the ball and dish it out very nicely. So yeah, I'd agree with with that. And do everything but, you know, get the goal that he thoroughly deserved. I mean, we'll get to that in a sec. Rounding out the starting 11, we have our our... 1A, 1B, 1C pairing up top. Uh, Asante, Flemings, and Adam John in the middle. Um, And you love to see it. But Austin did a decent job dealing with our attacking threat. Now, some of that was our guys weren't putting shots on target. You look at the numbers, 19 shots for Phoenix Rising, only three shots on target. But still, you're going in, you got that really strong trio up there, and you got to like our chances going in. Yeah, um, I mean, we kind of knew that Austin was going to sit back a little bit and kind of let us come at them. We've had that happen so much this season. So, I mean, I don't know. I kind of hope that we'd be good at handling that by now, but it seems like, I mean, that's that's just a tough defense to break when everyone's sitting in the box. You know, you got to send in crosses, and at this level, the crosses aren't too accurate, so it's hard to get a pinpoint one, you know. But, yeah, I... Uh, I'd like to see Monarch come out and just try to get us head on because that's when we play our best, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, and obviously we're not going to have as much of the refing BS as there was that match. Um, yeah. But going into this one, you know, not too much to start in the very early going. Austin made it clear within the first 10 minutes that they were going to try to muck things up. A lot of fouls. I think they committed four fouls in the first or three fouls in the first ten minutes. No, it was four. They they were just fouling all over the place. They made it very clear that that was their strategy to get Phoenix Rising off their game. And, you know, in the early going, we didn't have too many clear-cut chances. Um, they pick up a yellow card in the 14th minute. Um, but then things get going. Adam John in the 16th minute um, has a beautiful ball played by Vaccaro. Was this a corner kick or was it just a uh, a free kick? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm going. It looks like a free kick. So yeah, free kick from the left side. Great ball played in by Vaccaro. And and something I've noticed is more so in, than in years past. I feel really confident when we have these set piece situations. There were large parts of 2017 and 2018 where we really struggled on set pieces. You know, you, you'd hope that something right could happen when you're playing a ball into the box. But especially 2017 and the early part of 2018, 
there were large stretches where we were just completely ineffective. This year, we're creating havoc in these situations, and we're getting a lot of goals, and we're getting a lot of quality chances. And here, Adam John gets on the end of a ball, and this ball, you know, from supporter section, it looks like it's going in. Um, unfortunately, it bangs off the uh, top crossbar, and then uh, the follow-up chance doesn't really work out. But at this point, you're thinking there's going to be more chances to come, right? Yeah, I think it's going to open up a little bit right after that. And it was such a well-placed header by John. You know, across his body, Restrepo had no chance on this. Um, and just really unfortunate to see it bounce off the bar like that. You know, Asante also had a chance on the rebound. He had to one-time it, and he didn't get it right. Kind of whiffed on it. But you're thinking at this point, look, Phoenix is going to start pressing now. They're going to, or not pressing, but like uh, pushing the issue creating more chances and that goal is going to come eventually. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, they, they say like a game of inches in football or like in hockey, you know, like any bounce can go your way or it can go the opposite way. And that's kind of like, uh, like what happened with John and with solo. I mean, like his foot, if solo's foot comes in on the one timer, you know, a little bit earlier, a little later, it changes, changes everything. And, same with John, you know, like an inch down and it might have barred down, you know. So uh, it's, it's tough, man. It's You just got to hope those bounces go your way on any given night. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting comparison, you know, this match versus our first round match last year against uh, Timbers 2, which we ended up winning 3-0 and it was pretty comfortable. But the first 30 minutes of that match were very, very tight. We were not creating a lot of chances just like this match stretches where Austin or uh, where the visitors were taking it to us a little bit and being physical and frustrating us, but we get luck on our side. Drogba hits a great shot. The keeper doesn't make the best save or save effort there. And then once we're ahead, we're, we're playing with the lead. The crowd's more engaged and everything kind of snowballs. Well, in this yeah. game, we just miss out on these chances. And another one comes in the 33rd minute off of a corner kick. Again, what's the recipe for creating chances? It's a set piece. Baccaro sends in a corner. Restrepo has to get off his line to punch it, but it goes straight to Junior Flemings. And Restrepo, completely out of position now. Flemings does a great job hitting this very difficult one time, and it's headed for the back of the net. But Austin Bold is able to clear the ball. Um, you know, they had a few guys back on the line, and one of them was able to clear it. And then the ball bounces to his teammate uh, who gets it out of there. You know, that's just one of those things where, you know, maybe if there's not a guy there or maybe if he hits the ball a few inches to either side or if the ball gets cleared but the bounce goes right to a rising player. You know, it's just one of those where, unfortunately, the luck wasn't quite on our side. But then the tension starts mounting when you don't get those chances. Definitely, yeah. And the crowd's just on the edge of their seat, like, waiting for it and waiting for it and uh you're trying to keep the energy up but you know once you hit the 30th or 35th minute and there's no goals everyone starts to kind of wonder how it's going to go especially with this team where we have to start hot or we don't really start much at all i feel like no that's a very astute observation it's something that we on the show have been talking about a lot is the importance of getting that early goal in matches where we're getting that early goal we are usually able to 
pretty comfortably see our way to victory, um, or at the very least, it's not a huge struggle. And in these matches where it's staying nil-nil past the 20th minute, that's when the other team starts getting into it. That's when they start creating chances. That's when the matches get more dicey, even if we win at the end. And and right before that Fleming shot, there was a five-minute spell there where Austin had a few chances. If they could have put one of those on target, we would have been in a interesting spot. But thankfully, they did not have their shooting boots on. Yeah. Um, yeah, only five combined shots on target in this match of We're 37 just, attempts. Yeah. That's insane to me. Um, I don't know. I don't know if stuff like Junior Fleming's shot gets tar- gets counted as a shot on target since uh, it wasn't saved by a keeper. But in any case, Austin I've picks up it. another. Austin picks up another yellow card in the thirty fifth minute. Um, so again, they're making it very clear that's their their strategy. Um, but a chance around the fortieth minute. Well, I don't. I don't remember exactly how this chance got set up. I think Austin had the ball in defense, and then it was just a well-timed ball. Um, and I don't know who the attacking player was because it's not in the uh, championship match description, and it's not on the USL highlights of the match. But, I mean, you saw this chance. It was coming right to the supporters, end. they had a dude clear on goal. I think it was um, Lima, Andre Lima for them. And Lubin you know, stands his ground and times it at the perfect moment when to come up on the ball. And uh, thankfully, he times it at the right moment. Lima was flustered. I think Lima should have maybe tried to chip the keeper a little earlier, but it's it's always one of those things. It looks easier when you're in the stands, but a huge break for us. Yeah, and I mean, he was coming towards us, so he's probably a little bit uh, frazzled as it is, but props to Lubin for being the big mountain that he is and being our what is he Montana boy? Props to him for that one. Yeah, the uh, the big Montana bred man. Um, yeah, stands tall, gets down, makes a huge save to keep rising in the match because that there was the feeling last night where if we fall behind in that match, then the guys are really going to start pressing. That was always the fear is that you know if we fall down, things are already. We, it seems like we have more of an uphill battle. Guys aren't quite getting the quality chances. Um, and so it was crucial that we at least were at nil-nil. We weren't behind in this match. And mm-hmm. right before halftime, that's a huge shot of momentum for Austin if they can score that. But it stays nil-nil going into halftime. And uh, what are your thoughts at halftime? Uh, I mean, I figured there was a goal in the game at halftime. Um, it's just a matter of when it would come and who would score it. You know, I didn't know. I honestly wasn't thinking that we were going to get out of it. You know, I was nervous being the first seed all like not all season, but towards the end of the season going to the playoffs, I was, it scares me. I've never been a fan of a team that's been the first seed ever. You know, I've always seen teams going into the, into the, the big bad guys layer, you know, and, you know, taking a couple teeth out even if they lose you know they 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 tried their hardest and they made it a close game you know like but uh never been a never been a seen a team be the number one and that is a completely different experience because now you got those little guys coming in trying to knock your teeth out on your way up and it's not fun no i mean there definitely is a target on your back in that situation and 
And yes, yeah. when you're in the in your when you're in the middle of the winning streak, you don't feel as much. But then, when you start getting towards the end of the winning streak, and you start to see the tide turn, from people congratulating rising to people being like, "When is this going to end? This is ridiculous." Uh, yeah, it starts to become a lot I'm of in a, vitriol. I'm in a USL Discord, and uh, when I joined, it was kind of like you know indifference towards us, and now it's just pure like. Anybody who's playing Phoenix, we are rooting against. And uh, it's a little bit new, but, you know, we're, we're getting used to it. They're rooting for the team playing against Phoenix, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's... I think by the time you get to halftime... So my, my thoughts coming in is, look, this is going to be a pretty comfortable... Kind of like the Timbers 2 match last year. Like a 3-0... Um, maybe a 3-1, maybe a, a 4-1, something like that. Something where we're not sweating it in the last 30 minutes, last 20 minutes. By the time you get to halftime, you're thinking, all right, it's not going to be that. But I still feel like we're going to get one, maybe two. And they haven't been too much of a threat in the attack other than that one chance. So I'm still confident. But But then the second half gets going and we're still unable to capitalize on opportunities and Austin actually had the first chance in the second half um a good header in the 56 minute that's a little off target but that that was another stretch around the uh you know 55th to 60th minute where they had their way a little bit um and and indefinitely concerning by the time you get to the 60th minute now you're starting to feel like all right is this our night there started to be more of that tension you could feel it Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you could hear it, but the whole crowd was just chanting Phoenix, which has never happened before. And I wanted someone to get video on it because I don't know if I was just hearing things, but I'm pretty sure almost that whole stadium was was rocking and everyone was chanting just I mean, they weren't singing a song, but they were saying Phoenix, Phoenix. And I've never heard that before. So was it anyone was it has the, proof uh... of that? Was it the do-do-do Phoenix, that one? Yeah, yeah, the whole crowd was doing it at some point. And I, like I said, I don't know if I was just hearing things, but uh, I'm almost positive that happened at least twice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that kind of nervous energy that that really drives everyone to, uh, to chant like that. I was so yeah. focused on the match with it being nil-nil, I didn't even catch that. I, I, I know that the crowd was really good last night. I know there was a lot of energy and a lot of pent-up energy. But I didn't catch that at the whole stadium was saying that. Yeah, yeah. It uh, like I said, I could have been imagining it, but I, I I texted Kevin right after the match and I said, "Hey, did you get any footage of that? Because that sounded insane." And he said, "No, he was just focused on the match and and doing that that chant." So, uh, but I'll, I might have to pull up that ESPN Plus feed and see if uh, see if I can hear it on there. Yeah, and he's he's talking about Kevin Gates, who uh, is part of the. PRFC fan show great show catch their episodes on YouTube they interview players coaches the whole lot um, oh yeah but it's still nil nil what's going on you know we're down to the last 25 minutes Farrell comes on for Dumboya in the 68th minute um, which is a move I like because Farrell has those fresh legs and he's also another threat in set piece situations that Dumboya is not so we're really mm-hmm. We're really going for it, is what that move shows. Um, a couple yellow cards. Austin picks up a third yellow card in the 68th minute. And then Kev picks one up in the 70th minute. 
And then, um, you know, Asante gets a good chance in the 73rd minute that he doesn't put on target. But we do get a corner out of it. And then this is another chance where, at this point, you're just thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is just not our night. This is ridiculous. Again, a corner kick. Um, and Becaro putting the ball in. Becaro's services have been such an X factor. He has by far been the best guy on those services and on those free kicks that we've seen in these three years as Phoenix Rising. Um, here he puts it in, and Kev, you know, just trying to will the team to victory, gets up on a header. Looks like it's going for the net, but it's saved off the bar again. Unbelievable. Let me just say this about Becaro. I absolutely love that guy. I I can't believe that a year-long loney has bought into the team as much as he has, bought into the fans as much as he has. And, you know, you can tell he actually cares. If we can do anything in the offseason, almost all the effort needs to be towards trying to get that guy from Toronto at some point. I Like, honestly, he's been a game-changer for us. And, again, him buying into the team makes all the difference, you know? I mean, I didn't get that feeling with, with Blackman or uh, I thought, even uh, Re- well, I thought Blackman, Blackman was tried. I thought Blackman tried, and he was a good right. he was a good piece of our team that won the West last year. But you're right; it wasn't the same because he was going out a couple times. Yeah, uh, I will. I'll, I'll compare him to to Ricci, who is on loan from uh, Montreal, right? Yeah, Luca Ricci. Like I, I don't know. He didn't play too much, but I didn't get the the feeling that he was. 100% with the team, you know? He was just kind of going through the motions. Whereas Baccaro is completely night and day. Like, he's made all the difference on the field. You know, right after his pen, like, he, the way that he, like, screamed at us, it was unreal, man. Like, that guy is is something else. And like I said, if we don't find a way to, to sign him, that's going to be a big loss for us. Because I just freaking love that guy. Yeah, and I, you know what? I hadn't even... Here's how ingrained he is with the team. He even responds to, uh, you know, the rising Twitter account, and they have some fun on there. I didn't even think he was alone. Like I, I just forgot that he was a lone guy, because he came yeah. to us so early in the season. Like honestly, it's one of those things where, like, if someone brings it up, you're like, oh yeah, of course we got him as a lone guy. But I just, no one throws around the word lone player when you're talking about Bacaro, and I just kind of forgot. That he's a lone guy. I mean, obviously we're gonna have a uh, we're gonna have to try to sign him at the end of the year. And most contracts are one or two year contracts, anyways. So well, with Toronto, he could be on a multi year deal. You know, the the details of his contract could be out there somewhere, uh, since it's probably an MLS contract. Um, and he, I think he is only on loan with us because Toronto too dropped down to that low level. You know, John Becaro would just destroy League One if he was down there. So. You know, and if if I could understand also Toronto not wanting to let him go and being like, no, we're going to keep him. He's going to be a squad player for us, and in two to three years, like he's going to be a first team guy, which I hope doesn't happen. I hope they just are stupid and they're going to let him go. But yeah, it's a uh, that's definitely one of the most important things for me in this off season is keeping an eye on Bacaro and seeing what happens. Yeah, well, both the guys that create this chance, Bacaro and Kev, because I was beating the drum for him to get an MLS tryout this preseason. I can't believe yeah. that no MLS team gave him a shot this year. The dude's 22. You know what? 
He has Jamaican national team caps. He had an assist against the U.S. men's national team this June. And the dude just is getting better and better. His game really has taken another step because in previous years, he was more of a defensive guy. And he can still get in there and make those challenges when he needs to. But he's becoming more of an attacking threat too. And you and you see it last night. He's the only dude that's creating chances on target. Yeah, uh, I think this year's his year. He's he's going to move up. And uh, I mean, there's a couple Jamaican midfielders in MLS that are kind of aging a little bit. And teams might be trying to move past from. And I think Lambert is the perfect mold for at least two or three of them. Um, I can't think of the names right now. But there's guys in MLS that he could replace almost one for one. And I think this is his year. I think two two solid years at USL. I mean, last year, you know, maybe they weren't too sure on giving him a chance because it's hard for anybody who's not a an American to move up from USL to MLS. But, you know, two solid years at, at this level with this team. I think I think the eyes are on him and we could see him move somewhere, which would be terrible for us. But... I mean, I'd be happy for him. You know, he's getting his money. He's moving up in the world, which is what he deserves, you know? For sure. For sure. Well, we don't want to uh, get too into the offseason because of course, we are of not course, yeah. staring the offseason in the face yet, although we came way too close last night. Um, <laughs> 75th minute, Chris Tierpak comes on. I'm a little surprised that he didn't just start this match for Austin, but that's a dangerous sub. He's definitely a dude that can... Um, take his opportunities i don't know if he reached double digit goals for them but i do remember him scoring braces in a couple of their matches definitely a sub where you see him come on you're like "Mm, i don't know how i feel about that uh 80th minute we get joey kalisri on for aginaga another attacking sub and you know this is really rick shant saying look we're we're throwing the kitchen sink at them we're trying to get this thing done problem is we just weren't able to put shots on target. You know, 79th minute, we get a couple chances, uh, but one is blocked, and then Kev has a rare off-target miss for him. Um, and it's a shame because he it would have been perfect if he had the winning goal the way he was playing. Oh, yeah. Um, if we would have ended that thing before um, before extra time with, with a Kev banger, like, I don't know, that place might have come down. Yeah, but then... You know, Austin just does a good job of, like, chopping this game up, you know, really keeping it mucky, you know, committing the fouls, but but just frustrating us, even though they had less than 40% possession in this match. And, and in the last moments, it was actually Austin in our attacking area, but they really couldn't do anything with it. Um, so it goes to extra time, nil-nil, after eight minutes of stoppage time, too, I mean... You're thinking eight minutes, so we got to find a way. Doesn't happen. And by this point, I just... The energy between the full-time whistle and the start of extra time, it was just nervous mumbling, nervous chatter. It was it was a real weird vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you know, you could see it start seeing people shaking a little bit at that point and especially uh after that first extra time um period ended everyone was just kind of like looking at each other like are we really doing this is this really happening right now this isn't a dream right yeah it it, kind of started to feel like a nightmare like we're really gonna go up against this 
soft team. Sorry, my dog is just going crazy yeah. <laughs> out back. Um, you know, they were last in the league at one point, you know? Like, these guys were terrible. Yeah, and they, I mean, they get in the playoffs, but nothing inspiring, especially on the road. They're not a real team to be a threat, and yet they they give us all that we can ask for. Yeah. Your dog's giving uh, whoever's walking by all that they can ask for as well. <laughs> I'm about to bring her in or something. This is crazy. Um, <laughs> but we uh, we get to... You know what? I'm actually going to stop. I'll, this I'll keep him busy. Rising's One Podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League, Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Rising's One Podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL. So we're back from that uh, that dog break. Um, Aurora was very triggered by having to hear about penalty kick shootouts and the fact <laughs> that it was still nil-nil. Um, yeah. But Sorry. the match carries on. I mean, it's just, just crazy. Um, tell, me, tell me your thoughts on this chance right before the end of the uh, first period of, of extra time. Another chance... Bacaro to Kevin or Kevin, and how does this ball not go in? I can't remember what you're talking about, honestly, it's, dude. It's, it was, a, it's it a blur. Was a, so it was like a hundred fifth minute. Um, they had a few minutes of stoppage time at the end of the first extra time period. So they were Phoenix was attacking on our end, and Bacaro plays a great ball in, and it's from real short range. You know, uh, Kev is within six yards of the goal line. Um, and he gets a good clean head on it, but it's right at Diego Restrepo. Another oh, save. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's another ridiculous save. Um, yeah. No, he stood on his head, which is uh, super annoying because it reminds me of the beginning of the season when every keeper we played against had the goal or had the game of their lives. Like, uh, switchbacks is coming to mind. Their 16-year-old keeper held us to like a – I think we – did we lose to them at home? When it, was, it, was, it, was, the the it was a draw that felt like a loss. Yeah, yeah, and he this their sixteen year old stood on his head, you know, so it just felt like that, you know. Um, right, and then the then the save really good chance. The save gets blocked out to a teammate with no rising players right there. Just bad luck. Yeah. 
Yeah, really bad. But uh, you know, that was that was at a point in the match where you know we were just throwing everything we could at the wall and seeing what would stick. Reminds me of the late in that New Mexico United away game. You know, just trying to throw stuff in, seeing what seeing what worked. You know, not quite as dramatic as that, but yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about a couple key substitutions that happened before the shootout starts. You know, both of these happened in the second part of stoppage time. And I didn't even realize we still had two more subs to make. But within minutes, Solo comes off for Jason Johnson. And then Ben Spencer comes on for Adam John. The the Sante one makes a lot of sense. And when I see this happening, I'm immediately thinking, holy smokes, like the penalty kick thing is real. Yeah. Did you see the quote um, from Phoenix Rising Tactics? Uh, about Rick's comments on why he brought him out? On um, like the conversation that he had with Solomon and Solomon understanding. Oh, yeah. Solomon said, like, like no, I don't want to be out there for the penalty kicks. Like, it's okay. You can take me off, you know, like that. Yeah, I mean, he didn't say that I don't want to be out there, but I think. I don't need to be out there. Yeah, let me let me pull it up. I'll I'll read it off because it was a a really unselfish thing, but also, you know, an indication of like, wow, this this penalty kick juju, you know, he he really there's something to it. Um and at yeah. least and at least he's humble enough to like understand it now. So, this is Rick Schantz. I told him I was willing to bring him off because we were in a 4-2-3-1 at that point and we were going to put a second forward up top and I said but I'm not going to do it if you feel like you want to stay. And he said, I don't have to be on the field for penalties. And that's all I needed to hear for him was that he was okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, during the regular season or, you know, like obviously there's no penalty kicks in the regular season, but with, with Solo trying to chase the goals record and all that, maybe, maybe you have a different um, response. But, you know, when it's all on the line like this, all on the line like this, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a huge moment for him because, I don't know, I thought down the stretch, Solo might have been a little bit, not selfish, I don't want to say, but he was definitely on a mission to try to break goals records, go for the golden boot, you know. But, you know, this was a completely different side to him, which I'm, I'm glad to see. Definitely. Um, and And good on him for being humble and being mature about it. That is what being a team captain is all about. And Rick Schantz had a reply to that uh, screenshot. The most selfless leader a coach could have, I'm honored to be his coach. And that, yeah, that just speaks volumes to the kind of locker room that we have. You know, I, I don't think there's anything quite like it. Yeah, you, you definitely wouldn't see something like that in the World Cup or, you know, in the Premier League or something like that where a team captain is like, you know what, no, like this is for the better of the team if I step out here. Yeah, yeah, but and I mean he wasn't he wasn't really on it that night. You know his touch was a little off. I think he was he was ready to let his teammates handle it because he's confident in them. And uh, you know I, I think he's going to have a really hard week in training. He's going to push himself, and we might have a little Solomon Asante MVP performance on Friday night. I hope. Well, we can all hope. Um, the yeah. second the second substitution I don't understand as much. I get. If you're if you're making this substitution at the 85th minute, 
I get it. But at the 118th minute, my eyebrows are rising. Adam John comes off for Ben Spencer. And, you know, people, you're very familiar with Adam John being a clutch penalty taker. He finished that one shootout off for the crew in 2017. Then we saw him steal a goalie's soul earlier this season. You know, people know that he can bang in penalties. So, even though Spencer is also a striker, I'm, I'm like, that's odd. Wouldn't you want him taking your first kick? Yeah, um, my only thought on on the, the reasoning behind it would be, you know, Adam John had a long game, you know, 118 minutes of just grinding out there and not nothing really to come of it, you know. So maybe it's after having tired legs, you know, your mind is kind of shot. Your confidence might be a little shot. Getting fresh legs, a fresh mind, you know, someone who's been sitting on the bench talking to coach the whole game, you know, nice and level, you know, maybe that maybe that's the reasoning. Because, you know, if you get out there to take your penalty kick and you're dead tired, cramping up, you know, maybe, maybe you don't kick the way you want it to or maybe it, you just get it in your own head you know so that's my reasoning on that and i'm happy with ben spencer coming in because he's not terrible by any means but he, he can get the job done if he needs to and he did definitely and you know at this point you're thinking none of our penalty kick takers have taken a regular season kick for phoenix rising so they don't have any tape on these guys we're just going to have to do it live. I mean, on one hand, Diego Restrepo doesn't have a scouting report like he would for Solomon or even for Adam John. The counter is, the counter is, these dudes have never taken it in this high pressure of a situation. You know, maybe one or two of them have, but are they going to do it? Are yeah, we, do, are we that, doing this? I mean, that's a, that's a ballsy thing to do if your coach Chance is to put your, uh, take the two guys who are regular penalty kick takers off the field in the last 10 minutes before the shootout. Yeah. And I was actually, uh, I was happy when I heard Rick saying that they practice penalty kicks in training over the week. Cause I, I remember I've, I've heard people like asking, you know, in like a post game scrum, you know, or whatever. They're like, so coach, did you guys practice penalty kicks? And he's like, no, that's not what practice is for. You know, they could do that on their own time or something like that. And the fact that he kind of put effort towards it for everybody, it, uh, I think that made all the difference. Because if you get your guys out there that are cold and haven't taken a penalty kick in God knows how long, you know, that changes the outcome of the match for sure. I think it's a sign of Rick's maturity and the differences, you know, the difference between him and previous managers we've had. Because you go back to the end of 2017, you go back to um, last season in the Open Cup and this season in the Open Cup, and you might still have that mentality like, ah, well, you know, we're playing to win the game. We don't want to rely on penalties. And and it showed, you know, the, the takes were not great in any of those penalty shootout losses that we had had, even... Even some of the kicks that went in in those shootouts were not great shots. The quality was a lot better in this shootout, with one or two exceptions where we got a little lucky. Yeah, uh, the armpit one is coming to mind. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you could you could tell that there was a difference. You could tell that these were much higher quality takes. 
Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, our defenders coming up, and you know, I think I don't think a defender missed one. That's uh, that's huge, you know. Yeah. So we we get to the shootout itself, you know, and it's coming down to the supporters' end, which you like. The open cup one was on the opposite end, and it just would have been weird if it wasn't in front of the supporters. So, um, also. I don't think we've ever won a coin flip for a penalty kick shootout. I feel like we're shooting second every single time. Yeah, yeah. That that uh. What the heck? That's got to be part of the the bad juju. And including last night, Austin gets mm-hmm. to shoot first. Um, and so it's it's Chris Tierpack. He puts it in. Um, Flemings makes no mistake on his try, and then the first big thing that goes our way. Thomas Diviarte, uh, who was a sub for Austin, his shot gets saved by Lubin. And Lubin makes a really good save in the bottom corner. And, you know, the penalty practice is helpful for keepers, too, because I feel like in a lot of the other shootouts, and even during the regular season, Lubin hasn't guessed right very often. And obviously, it's guessing, you know. How much how much time are you actually going to spend getting ready for penalties? But... You know, some keepers tend to be better on penalties than others. Like Mizell, I feel like he's just on on penalty kicks. I don't know what it is with some guys. Um, but Lubin looked like he was more on it last night. And he makes this big save. Bacaro scores. Um, and so at this point, we're up 2-1. Um, they hit theirs. We hit ours. They hit theirs. So we need two more penalties to win. Um Kalistri was our third taker who made it. And so now Kev Lambert comes up. And I don't I don't have any problem with him stepping up as the fourth taker. He had a great match, even though he is a defensive midfielder. But he was the one putting the ball on target throughout the match and just getting robbed, basically. And it, it happens again here. I mean, this is not a bad shot. You know, it, it, he didn't put it in the air, but it's still, it's on target. It's to the left. Restrepo had to make a good save. There was pace on this shot. This isn't like a couple of solos misses where he's really slowly rolling it, you know? Yeah. It was a good save. Yeah. Yeah, and I just had a I, I had a bad feeling when Kev stepped up. I don't know why. It uh I just had like a vision like really quick come into my head of him just skying it over the bar and I was like, oh no. But uh, you know, it was on frame, which is nice. Uh, but I mean, my my bad feeling came true. Yeah, and uh, and then the double whammy is that totally changes the momentum of the shootout because here we are. You know, if we hit that one, we're up four three, and now all we need to do is either have them miss or we score, and it's over. We're firmly yeah. in control. With us missing, now they have a chance right away to go up four three and put all the, the pressure on us, and that's exactly what happens. Um, Braff, Braffied, Edson Braffied, uh, made a cool penalty. And so now it's 4-3 and Ben Spencer is coming up. And this is the shot that I think, you know, this is where you talk about the demons getting exercise. This is the shot that saves the match for us. But on a different night, we're walking out of there losers. Our season's over. Tell me what you saw on this. That was the one that that uh, uh, that Restrepo like got on right, and it just kind of went under him. 
Yeah, correct. I mean, it was just a Yeah, I a had take. a terrible angle on it. I thought he saved it because, like, I saw Restrepo go down and the ball was, like, where he was. And then everyone started cheering and I said, what? What's going on? And then I saw the ball kind of, like, bouncing around in the net for a second. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we made that. I don't know how, but we did. Yeah, that that one. So you go and you see, and I'm actually pulling up the penalty shootout YouTube video right now. But this shot is hit down the middle, not in the air. Um, you know, it's basically right at Restrepo. And he kind of makes a mess of it, to be quite frank. I don't know how he doesn't make this save. Um, especially after the save he had made on Kev Lambert. You know, a much higher degree of difficulty there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm watching it now, and it's it's right up the middle and just somehow gets underneath him. I, I for the life of me, will never be able to understand that. It's the ultimate disrespect, man, going straight down the middle on a penalty. No, I get it. That's my move in FIFA. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. Because especially, <laughs> especially when you're playing computer, or even against friends because people always like to jump to the side, but especially against computer, like that's a guaranteed goal. But, man, unbelievable. So we stay alive, and that's big because it it really is just nerve-wracking at this point. You know, they put one in, we put one in, they put it in, we put it in. It gets to 7-7. It gets to the ninth kick, and finally, we uh, we get our big break. And it was probably Austin's kick taker just getting, you know, thinking the same thing. I'm just going to blast it down the middle, and he's going to jump to the side, and and that's going to be that. And Lubin just stands there and saves it easily. Yeah, that was that was huge, and like like uh, it just reminded me of that one on one they had earlier in the game. You know, Lubin just stands tall and says, "No, you're not. You're you're not getting in my net." He is he, he is the mountain. Presence. Mm-hmm. I would I would call him the uh well we can't really talk about the wall in this political climate, but <laughs> he really kind of is a wall, you know, he and the saves he made today, just standing yesterday, the saves he made, just standing strong, standing tall. Um and it's that's an ultimate, you know, F you to the taker, like I'm just gonna stand right here and let you blast it into my hands. Um, yep. Jermaine, Jermaine Taylor is the taker who uh, who blows it for them. And I don't know if he is a defender for them. He is center back. So, you know, and when you get to that part of the shootout, these things happen. But it was a pretty good shootout. Like, there were no bad misses. Yeah, no, the worst part about it was Restrepo's miss. And, I mean, we, we can't complain about that at all. So no. As a neutral, uh, if I saw that, I'd roll my eyes a little bit. Oh, for sure. Um, and and right before uh, Taylor gets his shot stopped, Dia, when we're down 7-6, we need a shot. He has a good effort, but Restrepo gets his hands to it, and it just sneaks in. I mean, that's another one where, on a different night, almost a carbon copy of the save that Mizell made to knock us out of the Open Cup. Yeah. It's... Uh... You know, just had enough on it that the save didn't do it. I think uh, Lubin had one where he got his hands on it, but it was 
a well-hit ball, and it just still went into the net. Absolutely. Um, and so then A.J. Cochran steps up there, and he puts it down the middle. He makes no mistake. Phoenix finally gets it done, and the the roar... That's what we played at the beginning of this episode, was the, was the ref blowing the whistle, him scoring, and the crowd going crazy. The roar was just something. Because it's two hours plus of that pent-up emotion. And finally, we get this demon exercise. You know, we finally win a shootout. This match is finally over. And on a day where the two and three seeds in the Western Conference are knocked off their perches, we find a way to move on. Yep, and the target remains on our back. So we got we got our hands full for the rest of this. Yeah, I mean, just... Just an exhausting, exhausting match. But any final thoughts before we start looking ahead? Um, that was scary. Let's never do that again. Uh, nothing can stop us at this point, so let's just go win the whole thing. Yeah, that's a, that sounds good. <laughs> I'm actually going to yeah. try to dig up some audio from Owain uh, with Shantz because... Elaine is always there after every match, and he gets good video clips too. So, yeah, that guy's a legend. Someone's got to pick him up. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty phenomenal. So here's here's uh, Zach Lubin talking about uh, his first half. I guess this is his first half save. So I'll actually scratch that clip. It doesn't look like he had any clips from post match last night. So, um. But when when we uh, when we get that, we'll have to share it because that was certainly a night to remember. But holy smokes, I, I did not see it going that way. Yep, I guess it was uh, it was spooky. You know, it was our last match of October, so they got to make it a little spooky. For sure. I mean, you look at the numbers. On one hand, we do have a lot of possessions: sixty-one point three to thirty-eight point seven for them. But like I had mentioned before, only three of our 19 shots on target. And uh, I guess they were credited with five shots on target. So um, not many of those were hit with pace, though. A lot of those were easy rollers that Lubin could pick up off the grass. But um, that's something that we absolutely need to see improve. Or we will lose next week because Monarchs is a much better offensive team. Definitely. So on that note, let's let's get into previewing our match with Monarchs next week. Um, that also gives us a chance to talk about their playoff match against Orange County. And I think this is a match that a lot of people saw as the true battle between the second and third best teams in the West. Real Monarchs and Orange County had been on incredible form the last month and a half to two months of the season. I think Orange County's only loss in the last two months was to the Monarchs in Salt Lake. And then, you know, Monarchs came into our building and beat us two weeks ago. So we know that they're here to play. Um, They do get Douglas Martinez back for this match. And he ended up scoring for them in the 28th minute. The key moment in this match, uh, Real is up 2-1 on O.C., just after halftime, and Harry Forrester picks up a straight red card in the 49th um, that just completely changes the match. Uh, That allows Monarchs to score 
Uh, it looked like four more goals after that. OC scored one right at the death, but 6-2 to two is the final score. And I think, even though that number is a little misleading, it does lead us to talk about the Monarchs' attack, which we've seen is quite dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you know, normally when a team goes down a man, it's hard to get an extra goal on them just because they start bunkering, you know, and somehow they manage to get... Uh, a handful of goals you know when they're down a man so that that scares me a lot you know if we if we get to the point where we're trying to park the bus or something that would not work against these guys no not at all and uh and they play us really well too i mean historically these games of i think they have one win on us right over the the course of us playing them well, we've only beaten Monarchs once in the last three years in six matches. Um, yeah. You know, we have never beaten them in our home building. That's a draw and two losses. Um, including, you know, the ridiculous match a couple weeks ago where, granted, the refing was terrible, but even before that, they did a great job frustrating us, taking us off our game, and... You know, they, they have really quality guys up top that can convert chances. And for a two-team, they play with great unity and cohesiveness. There are a lot of... I'm looking at the highlights from yesterday. There are a lot of goals where guys are being unselfish, making the extra pass to create a higher uh, a higher uh, probability scoring chance. Yeah, and we're, we're going to have to bring our A game. There's nothing... You know, if we bring anything less than that, we're gonna we're not going to make it. So the guys that you have to talk about with Monarchs, Michael Chang, Douglas Martinez, um, and then certainly their keeper, Danny Ochoa. Um, but they just have a lot of strong, quality USL guys. Yeah, I mean... Uh, a lot of like household historically, names. Yeah, historically they've been extremely good at developing youth, and that's something that they that I think they'll always have and it's just gonna be it's gonna be like every other time we play them, you know, it'll be really frustrating. Hopefully it's more like a like when we went there this season, minus going down in the first twenty minutes or whatever, but hopefully we get a nice just early goal and just start really taking it to them, you know, making them pay for beating us in our own building. Yeah, they're also they're also a team that's not afraid to play us straight up. You know, a lot of teams will do the bunkering down, play for the nil-nil, play for the penalties like that. And Monarchs isn't afraid to actually go toe-to-toe with us. They will, you know, there were stretches of that match two weeks ago where they created great chances from open play and could have had, you know, a couple goals before they scored the goals that they did. So, I mean, even though we played well... They're still a team. You slip for one second mentally, and they're on you. And, you know, if you want to see what kind of a threat that they pose, look at these highlights against Orange County like I just have. I mean, they score some clean, crisp team goals. You know, they know how to work the ball well. The goals they scored against us, it was that penalty and then the unfortunate play where uh, the ball slips out of Lubin's hands. But they are a technically sound team. And if their defense is there, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, um, it's kind of that any given night type thing, you know. Like 
just got to hope that they're off their game. We have to make them off their game, you know. Uh, as a as a building, we're going to have to get really loud and just mess with them a little bit, you know. Right, and they are going to have Douglas Martinez for this match, who was not present in that 2-1 match from two weeks ago. Uh, one thing right. that we're, what we're going to have on our side, though, is we're going to have Junior Flemings and Kev. Both those dudes were out two weeks ago. So that's, especially Flemings, could be such a huge problem for them. In the first match in Salt Lake this season, his speed was an issue. They did not know how to deal with it. He scored a great goal where I believe it was him like tracking down a ball to force a turnover and then making a beautiful run and then putting in the go-ahead goal to make it 3-2. He gives us such an extra dimension because if you have Asante and Flemings on the wings, then your defense gets spread thin. You know, and, 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 and Kev, too, because he's going to be such a physical presence in the midfield. Uh, Justin, your thoughts? Um, maybe some technical difficulties here. I don't know uh, where he is at the moment or if he muted himself on accident. So I'm going to give him a little message. And Justin, are you there? Now I am, yeah. Okay. Did, Sorry about that. Yeah, did you mute I don't know yourself? what happened. That's all right. I might have. That's all good. Um, I was just talking about what a big difference Junior Flemings and Kevin Lambert are going to make. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm really glad that they're back. In that. I was worried because I remember going into playoffs, there was a lot of talk uh, that we might not have either of them because they might get call-ups, which I'm glad that that doesn't seem to be the case. No, and I, I don't think there are any international matches coming up. I think the most recent window was two weeks ago. I don't think there's another international window until after the USL season ends. Okay, good. So we're in the clear there. Um, but, I mean, what do you want to give a score prediction? What do you, what do you think this is going to look like? Oh, um, I'm hoping for 2-1. I think that 2-1 us, you know. Uh, I don't know. Even thinking of a score prediction gives me a freaking the the heebie-jeebies you know i'm i'm super nervous for this one just like i was the last one i mean i'm a lot more nervous because one this team is very dangerous which they showed us and two i mean they are arguably in the best form of anyone in the western conference us included this match reminds me a lot of our home match against swope park in the second round last year you know this was one of those teams that had just always had our number and we just it was a match where we knew it was going to be a grind we knew we had to find a way we knew there were going to be goals i think there were going to be goals in this game i think this is going to be more open something where the winning team is going to have three goals or more um, oh dang so and and it's not a stretch to say that this could go past 90 minutes to me um of the three teams remaining and this is no disrespect to El Paso and Sacramento, who, on their night, could definitely give us issues. 
but I do believe that Monarchs is the biggest threat to Phoenix Rising winning the West, and this match is going to feel like a conference final. I agree. This is going to be uh, one of the big ones, as they say. It's not a trap game, but it has the feel of like, you know, if you're going to lose one, it might be this one, and that that's the scariest thing to me. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting uh, there's a lot of interesting storylines to look at it. On one hand, we have not beaten Monarchs in the Arizona Soccer Complex. 2017, we get a draw, and the last two years we've lost at home to this squad, a squad that still has guys from a year and two years ago. On the flip side, Dollar Beer Night. We have never lost. We've never even drawn on a dollar beer night. So you got that positive juju going. On the flip side, you got the uh, the shield curse. And this is exactly what happened to FC Cincinnati last year. Squeak by on penalties in the first round. And then they play a two-team in the second round. And they lose. Oh, no. I can't believe you just said that. That's bad. That's real I'm, bad. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying... This is the exact pattern that happened last year. Yeah, no, and that that's what scares me, the pattern. It's uh it's too close, you know. Like uh I remember watching their match and they did not play very well in the they played Nashville their first round and then their second one Red Bull 2, right? Correct. Yeah, and uh they didn't look good in either of those, so that worries me a little bit. On the flip side, you know, our guys control our own destiny. There's no correlation between what happened last year and us. Just Very uh, true. just an interesting angle to throw out there. Very true. I think our guys will come out victorious, but there's going to be a lot of goals, and it might take more than 90 minutes. I think this is going to be... Oh. My, official, yeah. my official prediction is going to be... Um, I think I'll I think I'll say three two after extra time. Okay. With it being two two after ninety. Because Yikes. when these when these teams play, it's always just it's fireworks. I mean, even the match we beat them this year was they were up on us two nil and then we, you know, stormed back. But whenever these teams play, it's especially in Phoenix. It tends to be like a pretty dramatic, um, entertaining, nerve-wracking game. Yeah, for sure. And for some reason, last time they had fans at the match. I don't know what that's all about. So hopefully hopefully they don't show up this time. I mean, I'm sure that they will because, I mean, their academy is here and that sets off a lot of emotions for a lot of people. But Me included. <laughs> yes. I hate that thing. I hate that when they scored the winning goal, they were shushing us, and then they go to the academy, and they, like, smile and wave to those kids. It's just... Yeah. It makes yeah. me sick. Definitely. All that Arizona talent that they've been getting. Yeah, hopefully it stopped uh, last year when we acquired uh, the Blackhawks and made them Phoenix Rising Youth, you know? Hopefully... Hopefully that kind of turned the pipeline our way a bit. Well, and, and from what I'm seeing, the academy is doing very well. But there is there is that extra wrinkle of bad blood, especially for the more diehard 
you know, longtime fans of this club and of Arizona soccer because Monarchs does have dibs. You know, this is their MLS territory. Yeah. Uh, and they've had a couple influential players that have come from Arizona up to uh, Monarchs. So, you know, some people have very strong emotions about that. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're going to get this win? I hope so. I, I'm going to say yes. Um, but, I mean, I don't want to be too bullish. Just super nervous going into this, man. Like, even just talking about it, like I said, it's giving me butterflies. It's freaking me out. This is definitely one of those matches where there's going to be an energy at the stadium. I mean, this week there was an energy, but a dollar beer night, a huge match. You know, nothing else really going on on a Friday night in October in the Valley that point in november in the valley everyone's gonna have all their halloween parties out of their system so really everyone's gonna be showing up for this thing yeah and uh we won't have to compete with like a i think last night there was an asu game on or maybe it was during the day but i don't think there will be much competition as far as things going on in the valley so no excuse for anybody not to be there i already got my tickets tonight yes Bring your friends, bring your friends' friends, bring your mom, bring your dad. Hey, man, I, I got two supporter sections, and I'm, you know, so I'm bringing a friend. Sweet. So it's it's going to be a crazy match. Uh, we're going to have, you know, a lot of post-match coverage for that one. I might even try to link up with someone that uh, supports Real Monarchs and get a pre-match preview because... You know, this match is a lot bigger than the Austin one going into it. Austin, you're like, all right, we got them. But um, other other scores around the West, I mean, we don't want to look too far ahead, but our potential conference final opponents would be El Paso and Sacramento. El Paso um, gets a really gutsy 2-1, or 3-2 away win at Fresno in a match that they were down 2-1 in the second half unbelievable character from this El Paso team who has really come alive. You know, I took some heat from USL Pony for uh, for saying that the Road Dogs would come through in the Western Conference this weekend, but I did like, you know, other than Phoenix Rising, the other three Road Dogs, and, you know, we were talking after OC had lost, but I, I told him I like El Paso and I like Sacramento in these, and he had the chalk. Um especially El Paso they're just they're kind of peaking at the right time and they were down they were down 2-1 in the final 15 minutes but Kiffy gets an equalizer and then Velazquez with the game winning penalty what a signing Velazquez has been for them yeah and um you know you got to feel for the Fresno supporters who might not have their team next year going out like that in the playoffs that's got to be tough absolutely i mean just a just a brutal roller coaster of emotions this match. Josue Gomez putting El Paso ahead 1-0 and they're up at halftime. Kristen Cheney and Alex Cooper score within 6 minutes early in the second half. Fresno's up 2-1 and this, you know, their first playoff home match. They're moments away from it being their first playoff home win. And then El Paso just steals it from them. Um, looks like a really high quality match to 84% pass accuracy for Fresno, 86 for El Paso. El Paso has low key been a very, um, good side as far as possession is concerned. Uh, Mark Lowry's done an incredible job 
and I hope that he gets some buzz for Coach of the Year because I know Lesane was getting a lot of love out in New Mexico, but I think Lowry had a tougher job, and he's gotten more out of his out of his guys. Yeah, and I mean New Mexico is going to get a lot of love regardless because they're just New Mexico. That's just how it rolls. But I think El Paso is the real like expansion team this year. You know, they they made the playoffs. They went on the road and got it done, whereas Austin didn't and New Mexico also didn't. And, uh, you know, they seem like they have legs, like they might be able to do something. Um, I mean, you got to have guts to be down 2-1 in the final 15 and then pull ahead like that. You know, I don't care who you're playing. That's a gutsy win. And it looks like it looks like our friend might have uh, muted himself on accident again, but that's our take on El Paso Fresno. The other match, Reno and Sac Republic. And Hello. Yes. Oh, there we are. You're back. I was just uh, wrapping up the uh, the El Paso and then moving towards Sac Republic. All right. Sorry about that, dude. This thing's cutting out. I don't know what's going on. Hey, man. I'm I'm here with you, you know, as long as it works out, <laughs> but I can go it alone if that's what it comes to. It might. Who knows? Now, here's a match that I think was more of a true upset. Although, you know, it's a rivalry, so when you get those kind of matches, you never quite know how it's going to shake out. Reno won, Sac Republic 3. And Herzog actually puts Reno ahead in this match in the fifth minute. Sam Warner ties it for Republic. And then it stays 1-1 for a very long time until, you know, their their two main men, Kami Wasa and Thomas Envoldson, get the goals that give Sacramento the win. Iwasa in the 70th minute, Envoldson in the 75th. What a revelation Envoldson has been for Sac Republic. I think in Indy, you know, maybe the style of the Eastern Conference, um, it's a slower conference. Indy is more of a defensive team. They'll grind out their one nils and their two nils. But since he's made it out to Sacramento, Ennevoldson's been a huge difference maker for them. And he had that insane winner against New Mexico on Wednesday. Here he scores again. Yeah, that was definitely a scary signing for them, along with uh, who else did they bring in? They got uh, two people from Indy, right? Yeah, I don't know who the other... Was it Aleman? It might have been. I think it was Aleman. Yeah, those those midseason signings they made definitely made a difference for them. Yeah, I mean the one thing that scares me less about them is I don't trust their defense as much as I have in years past. And Shuttles Shuttleworth is definitely a step down from Josh Cohen. Oh yeah, it's hard to hard to step in those boots that Josh Josh Cohen left behind. Yeah, well he's he's off doing his thing in Israel now, so. Yeah. I mean, of first off, who do you think is going to win that El Paso sack match? That's a that's a great thing for the city of El Paso to have a home playoff match like that. Yeah, no, that'll be huge. Um, I can see El Paso kind of grinding it out. It's not going to be easy for them, but uh, I can see El Paso getting the win there. I don't know if anyone's enough of a diehard to do this, but you know, you could go to our match on Friday night. And then go to the El Paso match on Saturday night, and then uh, 
do a pretty cool write-up for BGN or, or something like that. Yeah. That'll be, <laughs> it's doable. I mean, it's like six hours. Shoot, yeah. I don't think I would. Uh, I gave some Nashville fans some crap for driving down to Birmingham for the Legion game, hoping that they would uh, win and help Nashville clinch first. I gave Nashville fans crap for that. So uh, if I went down there and did that, then uh, I'd just be a hypocrite. I don't think I could. <laughs> but you never know. Maybe Owen already has his uh, has his gas in his car and he's ready to go. I mean, it would be it would be kind of a cool thing to see as far as like soccer in the Southwest and what's going on in El Paso because I think El Paso is really one of the one of the stories of the season. You know, certainly for the Western Conference, one of the stories of the season because. They bring in Key Sweater, but then he goes down, and they're looking like they probably won't even make playoffs. And then everything falls into place for them. They get hot at the right time. And, and you know, El Paso has a triple-A baseball team, but I think soccer is the big sport down there. And yeah, it's it's going to be a pretty cool environment. I, I definitely will be tuning in. Um, definitely. And what I was saying when I got muted earlier was, El Paso is the expansion team of the year. You know, like you were talking about the coach uh, needing to get a look for coach of the year. And I agree, uh, New Mexico is going to get a lot of looks just because they, they make a lot of noise. But at the end of the day, El Paso is the ones who's, who've proved that it's a marathon, not a sprint in this league. Yeah, I think, I think any future expansion side could do well to look at what El Paso has done in their first year. Um, you know, a really not the biggest market and yet they were still able to attract a lot of quality talent down there so yeah um kind of goes without saying i think i think el paso will probably get by sac republic but nothing would surprise me from that match it's it's so on a knife's edge agreed yeah it's not going to be easy if they do so i think that's our uh i think that's our western conference stuff um it was straight chalk in the east top four I'll go through so um, the remaining teams to think about out there are Pittsburgh Nashville Indy 11 and Louisville all the teams with really strong defenses um, you know Pitt Nashville and Indy three juggernaut teams in the regular season and then Louisville just creeping up at the end of the year another one of those teams like El Paso that's getting hot at the right time yeah I uh It'd be interesting to have a nice little a little repeat game of that championship and on our ground and see see what happens. I think the Eastern Conference fans would be sick of seeing Louisville again in the cup, though. Yeah, but we, if there's anyone who's going to unseat them, it's us at home, especially this year. I think that would be like a nice like redemption circle, you know, like a nice arc, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's. That's going to be a fascinating match, them versus Riverhounds, because that's those are like the two hottest teams in the East right now. Yeah, and Riverhounds like to play a super defensive style, so it uh, if Louisville can break that down, then uh, I don't think there's any reason to believe they're not going to hit the final again. I think from a fear uh, a pure banter point, uh, Nashville in the final would be the best. Because there would be some real high-quality memes that week. Oh, yeah. 
I agree. It's hard to find Pittsburgh fans to talk crap with, but uh, Nashville's pretty easy. They're pretty noisy. You know, I actually saw back in September when I was out in San Diego for my bachelor weekend, there was a dude at the bar in a Pittsburgh Riverhounds kit. I was like, respect, man. Like, on a week one of the NFL season, on a Sunday morning. That's what you like to see. I was like, hey, man, Phoenix Rising fan, but, you know, respect for uh, repping the USL. Nice. So, good good on Pittsburgh for making it out there, I guess. Uh, yeah. Super, super random. <laughs> it's like I saw, I saw a guy in a North Carolina FC shirt at one of our games. It's like... I don't know what you're doing here, but yeah. I guess like that's kind of cool. Yeah. So this is like the last 10 minutes of the show where we just go all over the place. We're done being serious. We're just going to, oh man, we're just going off the rails. Yeah. You know, speaking about banter, that that New Mexico fan this week was just ridiculous. Oh my gosh, I could hardly understand what he was saying in his tweets, and I saw that he's on a podcast, and I'm like, oh, I can't even imagine what listening to that would be like. You know, it's weird because I actually did, I'm pretty sure I talked to him, like, when I was in New Mexico, and he was, like, nice enough in person, definitely, like, very in on New Mexico, but, like, not not really being a dick about it, but... He's got Twitter fingers. Yeah, man, it's just so weird, and, like... I was, you know, all week seeing him just, you know, obviously we're living rent-free in his head because he just kept bringing us up with stuff that had nothing to do with us. Yeah. But after he was acting like our club was founded yesterday, you know, he's like, oh, well, you know, you guys have never beat us. Congrats on your playoff win. It's like, dude, you know where we were last year, right? Like, you know where we were the year before that, right? You know that this team has been around the block a couple times. Yeah, I I don't want to give anyone, like, clout when they're just being a troll like that but um I, I had to block the guy i mean it's just oh nice it's ridiculous yeah i i saw a lot of people i woke up to like 25 mentions of people replying to him and i'm like all right you know we got our fun and uh you know i i said hey dude at the end of the day you're on you're on the bench we're we're on the field and uh after that that's when he starts bringing in other stuff so you know that's when you know that you've won is when they start just pulling shit out of thin air I'm all for, like, friendly banter and even, like, a little bit chippy banter if it's, like, intelligent banter as well. But, like, Mm -hmm. it was just dumb shit. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, it was, was like, the level of, like, a fifth or sixth grader, like, all right, dude, like, we get it. It sucks to, like, not, you know, make it further in the playoffs, but, like, there's no need to just be a complete troll, like... At least that OC troll, he'll, like, throw one or two dumb ones out there, and then he gets roasted, and then he stops. <laughs> Logan? Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. see, like, and that's that's okay, you know? Everyone's going to have their feelings, like, take a shot. And then, you know, Rising Mafia comes for you, and then then you have to, like, go uh, go on Twitter timeout for a bit. But he just would not stop. So yeah executive decision to twitter block it's the first person i've blocked with with the rising account oh it's wow crazy yeah shocking yeah all right well i best get to step in i don't know about you but uh gotta make some dinner i uh i think that's the move it's you know everyone listening obviously knows that it's seven seventeen on a sunday night 
Of course. But now you know. <laughs> yeah. So before we go off the rails any further, thank you so much for joining us, Justin, and I hope to see you there next week. Anytime. I'll be there. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening, and as always, Uprising. Uprising. Hello, this is Dominic Kearns here with a special guest. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, hello, everyone. It's Evan Slash Pony from the USL Show. I'm out here in Phoenix for tonight's game. Should be fun. And if that voice sounds familiar, you're probably a listener of the USL Show. You're constantly on the USL Show, right? Yeah, if I'm one of the regulars, there's the four of us. Whoever Whoever's available <laughs> night's host, we try to get as much stuff out as we can. And we've been doing some USL coverage. I know I think something came out this morning or late last night depending on when it got edited and uploaded, so that's a lot of playoff talk in there. Yeah, and USL Pony is a great follow on Twitter. You do a lot of projections, statistics during the season. Yeah, I mean, it's numbers. I like always playing with those because I think it sometimes points out trends that otherwise you don't see or points out who's hot or who's due to make a fall. Well, this is going to be a good yin and yang interview because... I'm all about streaks and gut and intuition, so you need everything, right? Exactly. No matter what your thoughts are, we have you covered on this one. Yep. So since you are visiting from the Sacramento area, what are your thoughts on Sac Republic? Um, they're, they're a middling team. They have a lot of strengths. They picked up Ina Voldsen, who people recognize from, I believe it was Tulsa last year, who did pretty well halfway through Orange the County last season. Oh, it was okay. That was... Oh, I'm thinking of uh, the other guy with the name, like, Stempus Ventessen. I mean, he was one of the guy. top three yeah, USL MVP candidates. Yeah, I was thinking of Ventessen, who was out in Tulsa, then I think yeah. he made the move to Charleston this year. Yeah. Another long, complicated, you can't pronounce it or spell it name. Yeah, it took a while to get Ennevoldsen down, but um, dude scored an amazing game-winning goal against New Mexico. Yeah, that was, that was a great one-hit strike. I mean... You could argue maybe the keeper should have played near post a bit better, but you're going to be hard-pressed to stop that one. And, you know, shows like the USL show, uh, shows like the new one that Wayne Evans and uh, Joseph Lowry are doing, they're about being neutral, about being impartial. That's not what Rising as One is here for. Thank you so much for beating New Mexico on Wednesday. Well, you're welcome on for that one. I was pleasantly surprised about it myself. I was a little bit worried going into that game as... New Mexico looked the better team when, when they played in Sacramento and won a few weeks ago. Well, and that was weird because that was their only good game since July, basically. Yeah, it's just, I'd always just been nervous for Sacramento this year. I looked up like, their split second for against playoff teams. They'd won only one home game all year against the playoff sides going into that one. So I was happy they got the win and they're going on to play Reno in a few hours here. See, uh, by the time everyone's listening to this, these matches are already going to be long done. I was a big fan of the Road Dogs, besides Phoenix going into today. One of those already didn't go well. Monarchs thrashed Orange County, but I kind of like the Road Dogs, El Paso, and Sac. What do you think? I don't trust El Paso because they can't score on the road. One thing I've looked at, they scored three goals against playoff teams all season. And while Fresno is definitely a little wounded, you still need to actually score to beat them unless they really want a 0-0 draw and just hope penalty kicks break out. 
Well, and that's actually a distinct possibility because these were the second and third best defenses in the Western Conference this season. Right. Uh, El Paso got very little credit for what they're doing on defense. Their keeper, Ketterer, I think I believe it is. Keeper, his, yeah, Logan Ketterer. Yeah, he should have. I mean, he's a keeper of the year candidate if people want to be serious about it, even though it's going to a lot of the bigger names out east, it sounds like. And Lubin. Yeah, Lubin. Yeah, Lubin and all the east guys. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. I mean... What I like about El Paso in that match, and granted, I could sound really stupid by the time people are listening, but they're playing their best ball of the year. Keysweater out was out for a long time when they struggled in July, August. Now he's back. They do struggle sometimes to score, but their defense has really picked back up to where it was in the early season. And Fresno, to be quite frank, has looked like shit the last couple months. Yeah, Fresno fell way off from the team who looked like they were going to finish second behind Phoenix all season long. I think... I'm not sure exactly what's gone wrong with them. I think there's enough talent there to still easily rebound, but they're kind of running out of time to do that, and I think against a team who can't score, this is your chance to get right. Well, word on the street is that they sold their souls to the devil to beat Phoenix Rising and end our winning streak. Thoughts? Oh, that could possibly be it. You never know. Maybe it's some sort of residual what's going on with their possible future or not future next year. I don't know if that's could all be mental at this point, too, if they know they're going to be out of a job, potentially. I mean, it all literally went downhill right after they beat us. The news came out right after they beat us. They Have they won a match since then? Oh, uh, well, I don't have my spurs. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think they've won a match. They tied Los Dos. They had another draw in there, I think. But that's why I like El Paso there. And then Arino Sack, it's one of those rivalries... You know, on paper, Reno's been better during the regular season, but this is one of those where you throw the records out. Hopefully, that's what we do on this one. I know it's been... I've been to Reno a few times. It's a interesting interesting setup at that stadium. It makes it a little harder to play in. Elevation also sometimes kicks in. But the matchup has always been in Reno's favor, it seems. But Sacramento... Is there any wacky well. weather for that? Uh, I don't think there is any weird weather going on in Reno tonight, but... I'm not sure, because <laughs> I don't, don't have the weather forecast up in hand. I'm always a fan of snow classicos, and... I think it's too early for that, especially given that it's been kind of a heat wave in the California, and probably they're getting it too in Nevada right now. Well, that's too bad. You know, do you have any questions or thoughts on Phoenix Rising, since that's where we're here? Oh, I mean, I guess we all know everything runs through Asante either way with this team, but the defense has looked better than... I think expected after the first month or so of the season, the defense looked like the major weak point, and now it's actually turning around. Is it more of a personnel shift or a tactical change? Apologies to the listeners. We are in a public space, and, uh, you know, kids will be kids, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> kids will definitely be kids. So uh, now that that almost as loud as the supporters' end will be tonight has passed... Um, yeah, Asante is a huge part of it, but I think in recent weeks we've seen Adam John pick things up. He's another weapon to watch out for, and Junior Flemings is kind of an X-factor for us. If he can get on the score sheet, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if he is on the score sheet, we're usually winning games. Yeah, well, I mean, usually Phoenix is winning games either way, no matter who's on the score sheet. Do you think Austin is any sort of a threat? Uh, I doubt it. But, I mean, they handled Los Dos pretty easily, and that was, Los Dos was kind of a pretty popular upset pick to go into that game and win. I know Austin's still down their captain. I think he, this will be his third or third game of a four-game suspension. Yeah, Cleaver's out. 
Although he was out against us back in April when they beat us, but that was a completely different team. You know, five of our starters in that match are not, you know, really factoring into the starting 11. Um, a couple of those guys aren't even on the roster anymore, so um, I don't, and plus it's a home match. I don't take too much talk into that. I feel really confident. Is there is there any reason I should be concerned? Um, I, Austin does have talent. They could play defense if they really get going on that. I think Restrepo is still their keeper who won keeper of the year a couple of years ago. I mean, it's the funny part is a lot of Austin players are two to three years removed from being potential all-stars in the USL. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an older team, which... I think bodes well for Phoenix because they had to play in the midweek already. You know, they've had a lot more games of more to play for down the stretch this season. And a lot of, I feel like the average age of their starting 11 is, has to be one of the oldest in USL. And our dudes are fresh. They've got those legs ready to go. Asante and Fleming's on the wings. I love the matchup, but I know that they're capable of locking it down. I think they would have to steal a goal and just, you know, be ruthlessly physical. Right, they need to really slow the game down to have much of a chance in this one, or Phoenix is going to just blow by them. But, like you said, they would need to score a goal and then probably lock things down. I was almost like I was saying how Birmingham would be able to beat North Carolina, but that kind of went the opposite direction. What are your thoughts on the Western Conference as a whole? Who do you see coming out with the uh, Western Conference title, and do you think this is the year the West can actually take down the East? Yeah, I mean, the West has usually been very all over the place when it comes to playoffs, but Phoenix is the best team in the West and in the league. I mean, I think you'd have to say it's 50-50 for Phoenix not to win this game, but to win the West, or even better. It would take them playing poor and someone else having a good game at the same time. I think it would have to be, like, Monarchs could be the biggest threat. I mean, they scored six against Orange County, and that result really took me by surprise because Orange County had been playing some good ball. They'd been strong on defense down the stretch. And granted, there was a really influential red card when OC was down 2-1 just after halftime. Kind of changed the course of that match. It did, but Monarchs looked better for all that game I was able to watch. Granted, I've got to go back and watch replays or dig through too much. But from what I saw, the Monarchs were the better team. Do you think that's the team that's the most dangerous threat to Phoenix Rising? Probably, I'd probably it would it would be them. I mean, if Fresno was able to get themselves right, if they get if, if they could rattle off a win tonight, then maybe beat the winner of Sacramento and Reno, then I might be able to start buying back into Fresno as a team who could take down Phoenix. But I think it is the Monarchs, and I don't want to say the chances that Phoenix loses the Monarchs are better than their chances that they lose any of the other two games combined. Just switching gears to the East for just a second, you know. There was a lot of parity down the stretch this year. The top five, six teams were, you know, not separated by much. You know, Pittsburgh Riverhounds was kind of lurking in the sixth spot all season, and they just jumped ahead at the end of the year. What do you think is going on out there? Uh, Lily Ball, it's still still alive and well. Pittsburgh is playing great soccer right now, and if they could return to that defense that gave the Rhinos all the success for multiple years under Lily. I think they probably should win the East, which every year has been very chalk picks. And they are already up on Birmingham tonight. Yeah, they got an early lead on Birmingham. I mean, I guess never say never after what happened with Birmingham and North Carolina, but I think it will take some bad luck and maybe a card to have Pittsburgh drop this game. 
It is crazy that St. Louis missed the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, it all came down to the last day stuff. I was kind of trying, I refrained from taking explicit shots at Birmingham when their Twitter is like that, hey, we made playoffs when they did absolutely nothing on the final day to make playoffs. They only made it because St. Louis dropped the game. So that was kind of one of, that seemed one of those weird things to celebrate when you lost. Hey, you know, sometimes you got to stumble ass backwards to get in. Yeah, I mean, anything could happen, and we saw that with San Antonio dropping out on the final day when all they had to do was win at home. Do you think that Sac Republic could make a run in the West if they can get a win tonight? I mean, they could. They're, they have two really good strikers in Owasa and Voltsen at the top. They have some playmakers in the mid. Their defense is decent. Ever since Cohen left midseason to go overseas playing for a new team, it hasn't quite looked as good. I think it's just... I mean, you lose someone who, again, could have been the keeper of the year last season and I think probably should have been keeper of the year last season. But they have potential to it. I just don't think it's the greatest chance in the world. Do you have any questions for me and uh, for Rising fans in general? Um, I guess I guess looking if you want to tie in MLS stuff with the now going to Sacramento and St. Louis are going to be the next two teams. Is Phoenix still looking to make that push or are they trying to hold down USL and be the best team here? I mean, I think the ownership group is certainly still trying to get MLS. The thing is, and I think this is the thing that has hurt both of our sides in the push for MLS. We wanted to do it, but we also wanted to stay authentic to our fans and our culture, and we didn't want to kowtow to Don Garber um, and kind of just bow down to his will and do it the way he wanted it, which delayed your guys' bit a lot. I have a feeling the same could happen with Phoenix because let's, you know, let's call a spade a spade. Nashville, St. Louis, Cincinnati, these places are not significantly better MLS markets than Phoenix. I would argue they are worse MLS markets than Phoenix, but they also had ownership groups that were willing to uh, play Garber Ball and use some public money to yeah. fund their stuff. Yeah. Money talks, that's been the story for a long, a long time. Whoever's willing to throw the most money at the league is going to get it. I mean, I think if Charlotte would have made their bid four months earlier than they did, they have. They, there was a good chance they got an over Sacramento. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's one of those things... I think Phoenix fans, most of us want to be in MLS still. At the same time, we're content in USL. We're happy that the ownership group is committed to doing things the right way, our way. And I spoke with Dave Rappaport this summer, and he was... um, He kind of had a bright outlook on our future, whether it's USL or MLS. We're going to be committed for the long haul. Even if MLS doesn't happen overnight, they're going to continue investing in top talent and trying to win championships and really set the bar as high as it can be. You know, obviously I think people want MLS, but I personally don't think it's happening in the next three, four years, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's granted, I mean, I'll still follow Sacramento when they leave USL to go MLS, but I'll still follow USL as a whole because I like the league, I like the players, the fans, and it's just really accessible and accepting. That being said, if Vegas gets in before us, I'm going to be fucking pissed. Yeah, I mean... They have gimmicks, you never know. They could do a helicopter cash drop over Barber's house. The MLS Twitter uh, highlighted that in a tweet, and like our fans just ripped on them so hard. I think even Phoenix Rising had a tweet that ripped on it really bad. It was, it was electric content. Yeah, I mean, Vegas is just... I mean, it's 
granted, it's they their marketing is decent because they keep standing out, even though they don't put a great product on the pitch every day. But I don't know. It's I kind of hope it goes to a few teams before Vegas too. Although it easily could happen. Thoughts on the USL Championship being a Sunday final this year? Um, I'm actually actually happy it's on a Sunday because Saturday I have a friend's birthday and his kid's second birthday are on the same day this Saturday before the final. And it was that day. I'd have some decisions to make out what, where my priorities lied. But I like it. I like that it's not on a weekday. That was the worst case scenario. They say, let's make it Wednesday night soccer. That would have been a really bad marketing decision, especially it kicked off like at four o'clock Western. Well, and I think there's another element to this. You want to see the highest quality match while still getting views. If it's on a Sunday night after most of the NFL games are done, you're going to have a lot of eyeballs. Unless you're a fan of those NFL teams, a lot of eyeballs will be interested in the product on the field. It's a championship match. You also give the teams more time to rest their guys so that they actually are coming out there with a really strong lineup. This is impacted both teams in the final last year because Cameron Lancaster was out for Louisville and Chris Cortez had to miss for Phoenix Rising because both were nursing injuries and unable to get healthy on the short week. Yeah, you need to keep your not only the fan base and the accessibility, but also the players in mind. I mean, that's why I, was, I don't absolutely hate going to 10 teams to make playoffs, but I don't like it being a Wednesday and Saturday game. I think that's a little bit, given those four teams who are going to advance a short end of the stick, traveling to play one of the best teams on a week's or like no rest as opposed to a week's rest well spin zone though just to play devil's advocate you should reward the top two seeds because then they get to play teams that are playing on short rest and if you're not good enough to be top six i think there should be some sort of disadvantage there it's not to say you can't overcome it look at what happened in baseball the nationals are leading the world series right now having to play the wild card round but I think there should be some sort of reward for the top teams and some sort of punishment for the teams that just squeaked in by the scrape by the skin of their teeth. I'd rather just go back to eight teams. I mean, you don't need to have over half the league make playoffs. Um, fair enough. I mean, I kind of liked eight too. Here's another another question: Do you think it's feasible for the USL to have two-legged playoff ties? I think you'd have to really cut down how many teams made playoffs for that to happen because otherwise we'd be playing USL well into December, I think. But I wouldn't mind saying maybe the Western and Western East finals are two-legged and then it's a winner-take-all final, something like that. What would your thoughts be on the actual, so say it was conference finals and the actual USL final be a two-leg tie? Um, yeah, I... I, I said conference finals and more behind. I think I do like just the winner take all. Here's the last game. Home team gets the host because they were better all season long. Go for it instead of saying, well, home team came out 1 2 nothing and then something weird happened and they lost and they got someone sent off and lost and that's that. But I think there's arguments both ways. I just don't wouldn't love it going to away goals, something like that. Well, and we don't necessarily have to do away goals. You could do it how the uh, championship does it when they're promoting. If it's tied after the two legs, you play the extra period and see how that shakes out. But the thing that, you know, and maybe it's just I'm biased and a little bit salty, but, you know, Eastern Conference fans are always saying, oh, we're the best. We haven't lost a title since 2014. Yeah, you guys have had home advantage in the final every year since 2014. The home team in the USL final has never lost. And when you're playing a team that, 
is in a different conference. You really don't have any familiarity for each other. I think home field advantage matters that much more than it does in the regular match. Then you throw in, you know, two different conferences, two different, you know, bodies of work. You're rewarding the Eastern Conference because, I, I don't know, I feel like the more fair way to determine the best team in USL would be to have a two-legged tie where the better team gets to host the second leg. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind that. I just I just always get a little bit nervous about one result just being ugly and then the second game doesn't matter. I mean, if you're thinking the better team, let's say they go out and lost. It's got someone, let's say this is what happened today with the Monarchs in Orange County. Orange County returning home to host that second leg is not going to be quite as interesting of a game. I mean, I get that, but at the same time, if you're a real squad, you support your guys no matter what. And if you're Orange County and you're only going to have 2,000 people show up, then what does that say about your team as a legitimate USL championship team? Yeah, it's just one of those. If you're talking about getting the most eyes on it as possible, a second leg where all the neutral are going to go, oh, this is over, tune out, isn't going to be quite as nice. I know, it's just... It, it, it could work. It could I definitely think, work. I think that, and again, this is just me being salty and biased and stuff, I think if there was a leg in Phoenix last year, Phoenix has such a special home field advantage that I think it would have been able to overcome a 1-0 deficit in the return leg. And it would have been a truer, you know, two-leg tie to see who the best team is. We didn't really get that opportunity. And I do understand budgeting constraints, and I do understand... You know, it's still a fledgling league. It's starting to really come up now, but... Yeah, there's no reason not to eventually think about doing that moving forward. I mean, the, the, the potential's there, and if we're talking about being a super serious Division Two league, why not start trying to emulate some things from Europe that work well? And it's just more revenue for the clubs that are hosting, you know, two matches better than one. Yeah, as long as your club is making money every game, it's nothing wrong with getting that free game out of it. Um, what are your thoughts on Hartford and Fresno, man? I mean, those are tough situations. Especially the Hartford. I still don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, I, it's confusing, and it's even if, even if half of what's in that article is dead on 100%, it's a bad thing. I mean, it's a bad luck on the league, it's a bad luck on the team, and it's going to hurt that team going forward because who's going to want to go play there? I mean, unless they're throwing a ton of money at them, which I don't think they're doing that to players... They're going to get the B teams. They're going to be at the bottom of the table again next year, and it's on the ownership at that point, not on the players. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame, but, you know, on a brighter note, do you have any late-night Amazon orders in your future? I saw a couple of those tweets from the summer. Yeah, I don't have anything right now, but we'll we'll see usually on a frustrating night. If we get you drunk enough tonight. There's always a chance. I mean... Granted, I'm on my phone makes it a little bit harder to binge impulse buy things, but we'll see. I mean, it's been a while since I did something that just magically showed up without me knowing what it was. Well, I hope that you get a really good order this weekend. USL Pony, thank you so much for your time. Do you have any questions, any thoughts before we get off this? I'm just looking forward to hopefully a good game and getting to go to a... A new stadium. It's been a while since I've been somewhere new to watch USL. This will be place number four. I think this is like the Oscars where the baby is like our cue to end. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
But thank you so much, and I hope to see you out there. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be there.